Welcome back to Public Health Plus. I'm MJ. I'm Cass. So this is something that I want to get off my chest because I'm not sure how to feel about this myself. I have no sympathies for smokers and vapors, but I have sympathies for other substance use people. And I don't know why. Maybe it's just an educational campaign that I got as a youth. Like, Well, how do you feel about people who drink? Nothing. Like, So I don't know. I have this very negative feeling towards smokers and vapors that I don't have for other substances like heroin, cocaine, and even for alcohol. And I don't know why. So, you know, on one hand, I can see where you're coming from because you grew up with a campaign where, you know, smoking was bad and and we need to not do this thing. But you also need to keep in mind that there is multi-billion dollar corporations whose whole goal is it to get people to smoke. To sell more cigarettes, right? Right. So when you think about people who use other drugs or other substances, you know, putting alcohol aside for a moment, these are illegal substances and there's no big corporation now there's there might be drug cartels and there might be you know people who are selling drugs or whatever but we don't have like advertising right (laughs) right you don't see commercials for heroin for meth or whatever right so i recognize where you're coming from but we also need to acknowledge that there is not just sort of a lot of money going towards increasing tobacco use but like very systematic and targeted advertising to get people to smoke yeah so if anything also highly addictive nicotine right if anything maybe you should have more sympathy for people who smoke than use other drugs which is why it bothers me i wanted to get this off my chest it's like why do i feel this way and it's really weird and i and i don't know how to process it but you know thank you for that (laughs) (laughs) Um, for being my therapist Um, that's what i'm here for So another thing that I want to talk about is... Well, wait, before you change topics. Yeah. So I just want to say one last thing about that. You know, when we think about, I wonder, this I guess is a question for you. I wonder if some of your bad feelings or sort of bad perceptions around smoking Uh has to do with sort of attributing a character flaw or moral failing to people who smoke because of the way you were educated around smoking, as opposed to other topics. Yeah, because my education around smoking was you chose to smoke, right? Whereas my education around other substances was mostly in grad school, where the framing was, yes, there is an individual choice element, but there's a lot of structural and uh, environmental things. So maybe that was just the educational message that I got about those two different things. And as we mentioned, when people frame an issue as an individual choice, they have a lot less sympathy. And maybe that's why. Maybe that's why Like that's how I am processing things. I'll take that into account. Um, <laughs> thank you for this free therapy session. There you go. Anytime. But uh, another issue that I want to talk about. So Philip Morris, Philip Morris, <laughs> Philip Morris, international, right? They are the. Is this like Wolf and Wolf? Wolf. Wolf and Wolf. Wolf and Wolf. OK, I got it. Yay, <laughs> it's stuck. So the cigarette or tobacco company, uh, Philip Morris International, they're not the only ones that do this, but they have this thing called Foundation for a Smoke Free World. I don't know what the term for this is, but it's basically they would create things that seems to do one thing but actually doesn't. So they would create these like fake organizations that sort of push for positive messagings when in fact, they're if you actually dug into it, they're actually trying to promote other types of tobacco products. So their thing is like foundation for a smoke-free world. We're going to try to get people to stop smoking cigarettes. But you know, here are some chewing tobaccos that you can substitute. Again, like they have- It gives them the perception that they are working to address yeah. the problems that they've helped create, but really they're talking out of both sides of their mouth. Yeah, exactly. So they're very creative. And again, it irritates me and makes me so angry to know that they're doing all these different types of tactics to 
stay alive when they know they're selling a bad thing. They know that this is a huge cause of death, both in the domestically and worldwide. But they're they're still going, and it makes me so furious. And it's super effective. Yes, that's why they do it. <laughs> yeah, they wouldn't spend all their time and money and energy doing these things if there wasn't solid research or at least marketing principles to guide these strategies like they know exactly what they're doing yeah and they're very effective at it and it's just like so many other things where it's like oh look at this dancing monkey look over here look over here don't be distracted by the you know what's happening behind the curtain so altria which is another tobacco producing company they also have this similar thing which is like oh we're gonna donate to this cause like lung cancer we're gonna donate to whatever the anti-smoking cause of the but again like whatever they donate they they spending 10 times more on targeting advertising somewhere else so they do a lot of these pr stuff which uh, again highly effective but also incredibly messed up you know from from an ethical standpoint anyway so last topic for this spicy bonus so new zealand is banning cigarettes for future generations i don't know if you saw this news i did not know that that's interesting how are they operationalizing it anyone born after 2008 will not be able to buy cigarettes legally period okay in new zealand and fda is moving to ban menthol cigarettes and any flavors in cigars oh my god finally (laughs) It has enraged me for so long. So long. That menthol cigarettes were still legal. Yeah. So when I was a kid, there were all sorts of different kinds of cigarettes and cigars with flavors. And then as I got older, they started banning all of those flavors, recognizing, hey, these flavors might entice kids to smoke. So yeah, we should ban them. Knew that. <laughs> but they never banned menthol because menthol was a popular cigarette flavor among African-American yes. populations. And they didn't want to lose the market share. And so they continued to allow the sale of menthol cigarettes. It just it frustrating. Ah, Very frustrating. Like, oh, let's protect our kids from these flavors, but like we don't really care about our African-American communities in the U.S. who are also being ravaged by the perils of smoking, but we're going to keep selling menthol cigarettes. Just pisses me off. It's so infuriating. And then also this whole notion of, we mentioned in the poverty episode that we just did, like when you are strained, both economically or just when you're just stressed, you're not going to make good decisions, right? And that's sort of the idea that they're sort of pushing is that they know these people have a lot of stressors in their life and therefore it's going to be way more effectively targeting them than they would like some you know rich affluent white suburb so that's why it's so messed up in many ways like they would they would target these communities but it works where was i going with this well and i think it it reminds me of a concept i talk about a lot in the classes that i teach around collective efficacy Like one of the most common and well-known examples of collective efficacy is the Not In My Backyard movement, which I think we might have talked about sort of environmental justice episode. But, you know, you think about whose voices are the ones that are listened to by policymakers, by regulators, etc. Communities of color that come from low income areas because they've been sort of systematically placed into these communities with concentrated disadvantage and structural racism and segregation and all these pieces like those are not the voices that even when they come together with an effective message and a clear request. These are often not the voices that policymakers and regulators listen to, which is another just frustration that I have. Yeah, very messed up on many ways. So where I was going with this is so New Zealand is banning cigarettes for future generations. FDA is moving to ban menthol cigarettes and flavor cigars. In the prohibition episode, we discussed that you can't just ban something and expect the problem to go away. So the big question for this bonus is, what should we do about tobacco? Well, I think New Zealand has a couple of 
things going for it. That, yeah, lots of things. Yeah, well, lots of things. But right, it's a an island. Right. I don't know that they grow their own tobacco. Right. So they must import cigarettes. It's so much easier to ban something like cigarettes when you're not producing it there than something that you could produce. Right. Like alcohol, for example, you can you can make lots of places with lots of different kinds of crops. So I think they have something going for it there. And we have learned some lessons from prohibition, which failed and the war on drugs, which failed, which is we can't take a punitive approach. No prohibition. We took a punitive approach with producers. We did nothing to consumers in the war on drugs. We took a punitive approach to producers and consumers consumers and have done very little to sort of promote different choices. So I would hope if New Zealand is going to sort of have an effective strategy with this band that they're going to have supports and social services and wraparound pieces that they can do to help people who want to stop smoking and not demonize it. We've tried to demonize lots of things and we it's not an effective strategy, right? And so taking a different approach might be more effective, right? Yeah. Try something different because <laughs> what we keep doing doesn't work. Yeah. And also I like that it's a phase out in the sense that they picked a date that's well, so if you're born in 2008, how old are you? 14, right? So right. they pick a date that I think people, eight kids under 14 haven't been exposed too much. So maybe this will be like a relatively natural thing to just like yeah so yeah like you know it's a phase out that's not really a phase out is what i'm trying to say i hear what you're saying because there will still be people who are smoking in new zealand probably for the next i don't know even 100 years even maybe like who, who knows 80 years and they didn't ban them but the the relative proportion of people who are smoking will decrease so that sort of then each next generation is seeing and exposed to fewer people who are smoking and eventually, you know, you, you might still have some people who smoke, but it's going to be an, an extreme outlier as opposed to a common occurrence. Yeah. And what I like is that they didn't ban cigarettes flat out. They say if you're born after 2008, you can't buy it. But if you are not and you smoke, they didn't really do much or at least not punitively to that. So I think this approach, this phase out that's not a phase out is probably a, a good one to take. I agree. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens, you know, 10 years from now or so as these mm-hmm. kids who are prohibited under the ban are in their mid 20s and sort of seeing what their perspectives are. I will make one prediction. Kids that are 14 days in a day or kids that are like just above the cutoff might be like, oh my God, I was spared or I, I'm like not included. Like, let me let me try this thing that none of my younger people. So I, I do think there's going to be a tiny bump for 15 year olds. Current 15 year olds. Yeah, current 15 year olds. That's that just how kids' brains work because like, oh my God, like none of my younger siblings or none of my younger classmates can can do this legally. So that's my prediction, which I don't think it's that far off. No, I mean, you always see risk-taking behaviors anyway among sort of adolescents and emerging adults. So I, I think you're probably spot on with that. But yeah, each successive group that's sort of coming to the age where they would have otherwise been able to smoke in the absence of the ban, I think you would see less of that just because they're further distanced from people who sort of experienced that either side of the line. Yeah, for sure. So tobacco is still a very big issue and it frustrates me and I'm sure it frustrates you the fact that they're still alive and peddling their wares. Um, so <laughs> Such an old-fashioned way to say it. <laughs> Makes me think like we talked about in that one episode where you got your your guy selling his snake oil, like rolling his yeah. cart into town, yeah. peddling his wares. <laughs> yeah, they do that, but on a very large scale. And it's still a huge issue. Like it costs us billions of dollars and it causes almost half a million deaths. 
And we don't know what the future holds policy-wise. Uh, we know that FDA is banning menthol cigarettes finally and flavor cigars, but not a lot of concrete actions on vaping yet and not a lot of concrete actions on just cigarettes in general. So who knows? Well, one thing I forgot to mention when we were doing the main episode and talking about vaping is so when vaping really first became popular, the FDA was not yet regulating no. vape juice, vape fluid. And so, I mean, there are people literally making stuff in their bathtubs yeah. and selling it. So because you can, yeah. we have no idea what some of these folks who were early adopters of vaping have been exposed to. So I think it'll be interesting also over the next 10, 20 years in the US to see what's happening with folks who are vaping as opposed to smoking, like never smokers, just only vapors. Right. And we have to do an episode on vaping because again, like if they were to stuck to their, this gets people off cigarettes thing, we might have something good, but they realize that that's not, that doesn't sell. So they, uh, it was, it's a very frustrating story. Yes. That's why when we leave decision making and marketing and strategy up to the folks whose goal it is is to make more money they don't make choices in the best interest of public health shocker shocker right so if you design a system where money is the highest virtue i think i said this in the the jungle or the food episode like if you if you have a system where money is the highest virtue some unethical thing is going to happen because that's just that's just how it's going to work because we don't place monetary value on ethics right we have to trust that people are good which you know that system doesn't really work um thank you for listening to public health plus the show after the show you can expect these more spicy and opinionated episodes every monday if you like the show, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast. It really does help us immensely and spread the word about the show. Join us every Thursday for our main episodes. And remember, everything is public health. Everything is public health.